what medical service was performed and why was it performed? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the business of medicine. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, your host. Joining me today by phone is Jane Tuttle, a certified coding educator and compliance specialist at Coding Education Endeavors. Jane has more than 20 years of experience in healthcare administration, including practice management, billing, coding, reimbursement, chart auditing, corporate compliance, and the dreaded HIPAA regulations. Jane, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Let's talk a little bit about common coding and billing issues for dummies, which is what most physicians are when it comes to this. Oh, gosh. I don't think they're dummies. I think they have a lack of training and understanding, and I think that there's a lack of education available to them throughout the course of their medical training. Agreed. But it is a foreign language. Would you agree with that? Oh, it definitely is. You know, and and that's one of the ways that I oversimplify. You know, if I'm at a party and somebody says to me, what do you do for a living, Jane? I say, well, I'm a medical coder. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, what's that? (laughs) So, you know, that this is when I launch into the, well, you know, it's a process by which we translate the medical services that are performed in the physician's practice into numerical codes. So it really is a language. We're translating what was done in the office by using CPT and HICPICS codes and the why it was done in the office, as you mentioned, using diagnosis codes. And there are rules associated with how these codes may and may not be used. All right, so let's go through the what and the why. So the what translates into the CPT Ford code. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. And that basically is telling the payer, it's a communication to the payer, that this is the actual service that was rendered in the office. All right. So that's the what. And then the why is the ICD-9 code. Right. And that's the diagnosis. That's the medical condition that the patient suffered from or uh, reported or was being followed and that necessitated the medical encounter. And I just want to also add that these are services that can be performed in any location. Medical services performed in the office, in the hospital setting, skilled nursing, home, etc. Who created the language, Jane? And have they bothered to see if that language is working? Is it futile? Is it a dead language? Should we kill it? <laughs> well, CPT-4 was created by the AMA, and the cooperating parties with the AMA all agree that CPT right now is the best set of codes that we have available for translating the what into what the physicians do in their office. I think the issue associated with the language is a misunderstanding of the finer points associated with how and when and why to use these codes. When I teach students who are new to coding, I typically will say that many people use the CPT book like a dictionary. They look up the code, they look at the definition of it, and they expect that that's exactly what they need to use, and they apply the code. However, if they don't go back to the beginning of sections in the CPT book and to the beginning of actual subheadings, they're missing all of the regulatory instructions as to how these codes should be properly applied. What about in medical school, we have physiology, anatomy, pathology. What if we did a month on learning how to read the CPT book? Oh, gosh, that would be my dream job. I would love to go to medical schools and help physicians understand CPT. Why doesn't that exist? Is it a, is it a giant conspiracy by the big insurance companies to keep us from learning the language? No, I don't think so. I think that medical 
trainees are very busy learning medicine, and until they get out to the point where they're doing their internships and fellowships, the realities of practicing medicine and getting reimbursed for their services don't become evident. All right, so perhaps right when we finish our fellowships, before we take a job anywhere, there should be a two-week course on coding. Absolutely. You know, I would support that 100%. At many of the main teaching facilities that I worked at here in the, just in the Boston area, we had compliance programs where every time a physician joined our practice or our group of physicians, they were required to sit down with a compliance and a, a coding expert and go over the initial training of you know, here's some of the typical pitfalls that are occurring. But even then, I think they're still kind of so green to it, they won't get it until, you know, it's kind of like teaching religion to a six-year-old versus an 18-year-old. You you need to be doing it for a while to see the, the beauty of it and the majesty. Right. I also feel, though, that, that one of the reasons why a good compliance program in most facilities could be an absolutely beautiful educational tool for physicians is because, again, they get the chance at least annually to get their records looked at internally, reviewed internally, and get the feedback as to what they're doing properly and what they aren't doing properly. Many practices take advantage of having more frequent reviews of their internal documentation to make sure that their coding is in line with the billing and codes that they're reporting. So, you know, that's the benefit of having an internal review program. I have a software program, a practice management system that will basically give me a nice bell-shaped curve each month, or at least try to attempt a bell-shaped curve to tell me that we're kind of doing things right, and then I can go back to my employees and tell them, you know, it says here you're, according to this, you're not at the national average and you're, you're underbilling. Well, you know, bell-shaped curves are great information because they give you the idea of how you're doing compared to the rest of your colleagues in your specialty in your region. What they don't do is tell you whether or not what you've documented in your record supports what's on that paper. So that's where an internal person can really come in and, and look at those actual details. In addition, there are lots of different software programs out there that do excellent jobs. There's no doubt about that. But sometimes there are decisions about codes and about billing that need to be made from the practice's perspective that there's no way a software company will catch for you. These are the areas that I typically try to preach out <laughs> to physicians and help them understand. These are commonly misunderstood areas. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, your host, and my guest today is Jane Tuttle, who is a certified coding educator and compliance specialist, and she exists really to help us try and get paid and figure out what we did and why we did it. Jane, a small practice, let's say, of three physicians, can they afford to have someone like you come in once a year, or is there a better way of doing it or a less expensive way of getting Jane Tuttle expertise? Well, I'm not sure they can afford not to. Again, the government has been pretty clear about letting physician practices know that, you know, they, they really do need to take an internal look to make sure that what they're doing is accurate and correct. So if they don't have the internal expertise, having an expert come into their practice once a year can be the way to satisfy that need. And I'll be honest with you, without talking dollars and cents, it's not an, a cost-prohibitive activity for a small practice to have a local consultant 
that's got expertise in these areas come in and take a look at your records. We shouldn't be flying you in. We can, <laughs> we can stay local. Well, you know, if you live in a resort area... <laughs> <laughs> then we can talk. Well, you know, this is the business of medicine. We actually do talk about dollars and cents on this show. So you don't have to tell us what you charge, but what would an average coder charge to come into my practice for one day, for five days, and, you know, take my pulse? Uh-huh. Well, if a physician's practice decided that they wanted to have a good compliance review done internally, they should probably pick about 10 to 20 documented notes to have a coder look at and review, and also the uh, associated charge ticket information in order to match up what's the documentation look like and what's actually being billed out by the physician to make sure that they're uh, documenting and supporting what they're trying to bill for. So they don't even have to be on site. If you have an electronic medical record, I could say, Jane, I'm shooting you 20 records. Check it out and get back to me. Absolutely. Now, the part that being on site that's good is, you know, and again, there's drawbacks. There's, there's pluses and minuses to every w approach. Being on site allows the coding person to actually you know, hand-to-hand -hand look at these notes with the physician, point out what their notes look like, and point out differences of opinion in terms of how it's documented. That's wonderful. And then a good coding consulting review will also incorporate a good report, a report that says we've looked at these issues, these were the things that came up as a result, we've educated the physician as a coder, educated the physician as to what things they need to do a little bit differently, and you're showing that you've got your due diligence pretty much in place. All right, so I'll ask again, Jane. How much? Anything. Just give me a range. Good experienced coders can range anywhere from $100 to $200 an hour. And it really is going to depend on the region. It's obviously a little more cost effective to have somebody locally. But if you can't find somebody that you gel with really well, and I think that this requires some confidence on the physician's level, you know, that the person that's doing the review is competent and experienced, you know, then flying somebody in once a year could probably range for small physicians' practice up to about five to $6,000. And you're comfortable saying that that $5,000 investment will translate into what? That will translate into a little bit of an insurance policy, a risk review program. Do we get a break on our malpractice premium? Because that would be a great thing for the coding institutes of the world to align themselves with and say, hey, we have certified this practice. They are now coding correctly. Give them a break. Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think it would be absolutely appropriate for physicians to approach their risk management companies and say, you know, we have an internal compliance program as the government suggests that we should. Our compliance reviews have shown that we have a greater than 80 or 90 percent accuracy level. We'd like you to consider that and adjust our rates accordingly. Absolutely good negotiating. Jane, let's go to your last gig that you did without saying where it was or who it was. What did you unearth? What did you find when you took the scab off? I tend to work with medical practices that are you know, small to mid-size and then also work in large departments for teaching facilities. Typically, the areas that are common across the board that physicians have misunderstanding about are understanding code category rules. So, for example, using a new patient visit code versus a consultation code, there's so much misunderstanding about what really constitutes appropriate selection of a consultation 
versus a patient who's a new patient. Can I, I want to jump in and ask a, a real-life question. I am an internist, and I am asked by the surgeon to do a preoperative evaluation, existing patient or consultation. Well, have you seen the patient in the past, and are you following the patient for that condition? Yes and yes. Okay. You are asked by the surgeon, so by virtue of the fact that you've been asked, it might seem likely that you should bill for a consultation because you are rendering your advice or opinion. However, Medicare is also very clear about saying that if you have assumed the care and the responsibility of that patient for that condition, all subsequent visits for the treatment of that illness are billed as established patient visits. Jane Tuttle, on that note, I would like to thank you very much for coming on The Business of Medicine. Oh, my pleasure. We've been talking with Jane Tuttle, who is a certified coding educator and compliance specialist trying to translate the foreign language of ICD-9 codes and CPT-4 codes so that we as the physician can actually get paid for what we actually do. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and again, you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments here, so check us out at ReachMD.com, and we now feature on-demand podcasts of everything that we have put on the air. Check it out. <laughs>